We're not doing access. No oh, <laughs> I didn't think we were. <laughs> I said, let's do it. Oh, I thought it was a joke. Never joke about bit. Commit to bit. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. I don't know if I can do it. Hi, I, I'm... I'm Emma. There <laughs> we go. I'm Shannon. And welcome to this podcast doesn't exist. <laughs> we are doing bits today. <laughs> Emma was confused. I was so confused. But we are here now. Uh, Sh- uh, Shannon is, is, well now I'm in New York. I can't, I can't do Midwest. From, you are from everywhere. I am. I'm from everywhere, man. I'm from now everywhere. She's You're welcome. Find that on the bingo card because friends, welcome to our podcast. We do. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do an accent. I'll do some words. Um, Why am I not just from New York? I can do that one without thinking. (laughs) You need to be chewing. You need to be chewing some gum while you do. Yeah. 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 Anyway, if you want to hear more of this, whatever this is. Silly, goofy time. That. (laughs) (laughs) he he ha ha all right we're back sorry i just wanted to do that i don't know why just mixing it up it was so aggressively (laughs) messing with me emma does not know how to function no it was i love it when you do that accent your babushka accent it makes me laugh oh that was not babushka no but it's close enough it's true neighbors yeah that like it it i love doing untrained accent work you know, I'm sure any of my friends that went to like a BFA and yeah. had like phonetics are like, what are you doing? Yeah. Erica is yelling at Erica's so right mad. Now. Guys, if you are unfamiliar with our podcast, I'm not going to apologize for this chaos because this no. is every week. But we usually talk about the ooky, the spooky, the f- weird, the unsolved, the mysterious, all of those fun things. Sometimes we weird and mysterious. Da. Look, you did it. Thank you. Saying it Russian is you the one accent it. I can't. <laughs> Stupid, dumb. All right, yeah. My we, favorite humor. We do this, and uh, you can learn more about all of it the good, the bad, the ugly, the beginning, all of the various stages of microphones and setups we've had throughout the years. Years, plural. Years. Um, at our website, this podcast doesn't exist. Dot com. Dot com. Dot com. Dot com. So all of our, all, you can stream our episodes directly on the site or you can link out to the podcatcher of your choice. But yeah, friends, if you'd like to pull out those bingo cards that you can find on our website too, uh, I bet you you would have gotten a couple already. So friends, today won't necessarily be a uh, silly, goofy time, but I think you're going to like it. Why you do this to me? It's not going to be scary. I know we're in spooky season, but I did. I specifically chose not to do a scary one. Oh. There are potentially ghosts involved, but they are not spooky. Oh. So. Nothing can compare to the ghosts of my past. Oh. Very, Sounds even more sinister. Very scary. <laughs> She's smoking a cigarette, that visual bit for you. <laughs> What a, what a good visual bit. Thank good job. You. So today, we are discussing the murder of Elma Sands. Any twinklings of a recollection? No, but I don't usually remember names. That's fair. You, I, you might get into it and I might be like... <gasps> I think you might. Oh. So America's first murder trial oh. sits on the shelves of history. 
but do its ghost still linger in racks of sensible slacks and button downs. So, it's 1799, and New York City is bumping. The country is a little over 10 years old, still figuring out its systems and infrastructure, but its people simply see promise. This was especially true for 22-year-old Guglielma Sands, who had just arrived in New York City from South Carolina to live with her cousin Catherine Ring and Catherine's husband Elias. The pair owned a boarding house on Greenwich Street, which is now in Greenwich Village, where Alma, as she was known, was put up. Thank goodness, because I can't really say her like, uh, full name. I'm so sorry. It's very difficult. There's too many L's. Well, Levy Weeks. Levi Levy. I'm used to hearing Levi. Sure. Anyway, he was 23 and a carpenter living in the boarding house as well. Levy had dreams of becoming an influential builder and architect, like his well-known brother, Ezra. Ezra had become wealthy by developing major New York City projects, including the mayor's mansion, and was very well connected. Levi had... Levi. You know what? It rolls off the tongue for me for Levi. So sorry, bud. I have no clue. He had plans to ride the coattails of his brother and find a position of success that way. Then he met Elma. (gasps) Nothing could keep these two from coming together. Once they realized they lived in the same boarding house, the pair started a passionate love affair oh so passionate that the other boarders knew almost instantly that they were together they were found at least twice in the throes of lovemaking which was more than scandalous during the time for an unmarried couple so it made sense to make elma an honest woman Mm. phrase which i really dislike (laughs) the patriarchy yeah Make him an honest man. How about that? Yeah. On the cold afternoon of December 22nd, 1799, Elma told her fellow boarder and cousin, Hope Sands, that Levi had proposed and they were planning to elope that night. Hmm. There's debate of who left when if Levi... Levi... Guys, I came up with another pronunciation. <laughs> if Levi left in the house in the early evening and Elma left around 8 p.m. or if they left together as some heard whispers by the door that opened quickly and closed. Regardless, both were absent from the boarding house most of Sunday night. A friend saw Alma on Greenwich Street where the boarding house was with a man, but the friend could not identify the man in the dark. The friend went to approach Alma, but Alma was drawn away by the man down the street. The next morning, the papers cried the death of George Washington, the bells of every church solemnly tolling for the next few days until the funeral. Yeah. But Catherine Ring was more concerned with her now-missing cousin. Levi had returned to the house on December 22nd alone and was questioned a few days later about Elma's sudden vanishing and whether or not they had already eloped. Levi apparently was ignorant of any engagement or where Elma had gone, though he was worried about her, he said. He also said he had spent most of that fateful Sunday night at his brother's house. A few days after she went missing, around Christmas... One mile north, a young boy found a muff in the new Manhattan well. Ten days after she went missing, and two days into the new century, Elma Sands' body was drawn up from the well. She was badly battered, and it was very possible she was the victim of foul play. Elma's body was displayed for three days at the boarding house. Apparently, this was a common Quaker ritual. The Quakers, or the rings were Quakers. Initially, I was like, 
that's weird. Mm. It's not weird. Her death became the sensation of the season, with hundreds of New Yorkers coming to view Elma's body for three days in the house and four days outside in her coffin. It drummed up immediate uproar and speculation of what could have possibly happened to her. All anyone could think was that it must have been Levi, and when the coroner's report confirmed murder, he was arrested. Now, public sentiment was immediately against Levi because they were like, they were together. He was ruining her. He said he'd marry her. He didn't. He did it. Everyone's like, we already know. Mm -hmm. But his brother, Ezra, was entirely on his side. For brotherly love or the sake of his own connections, we won't know. But what we do know is that he used his connections and wealth to employ the two best-known lawyers in New York City to act as his brother's defense attorneys, Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton. Did you know where we were going as I got further I into did. it? Okay. The first murder <laughs> trial of a brand new nation. Validity behind the liberation. Exactly. So it should be noted that the well where Elma was found was an Ezra Weeks project backed by Aaron Burr. Mm. Yeah. A little weird, but I think there was only so many influential people at the time that yeah. had the money to do things. So Ain't that the truth? <laughs> I mean. I wish to be one of those people with money to do things. Right. So the only issue for these two attorneys, if you were not aware, was that they were not buddies. Well, that wasn't the only issue. The other was that they were not criminal defense attorneys. <laughs> But they were, they were dudes. They were dudes and they were lawyers. <laughs> they were <laughs> lawyer Ken. <laughs> My job, job is, is law. law. <laughs> Very different. Some pe- There's a misconception. Some people think it's criminal defense it, attorney, but really, it's, it's, it's just, just law. law. That's great. That's great. Alexander. You're, very, you're really good at it too. Really good. You do a great job at law. Barbie. All right. So, because neither of them were criminal defense attorneys, they decided to include another attorney on their team just to round things out. But this time, he actually knew what he was doing. So, they brought on Brockholst Livingston, who was an actual criminal defense attorney at the time, to help them out. So, he actually knew what was going on. So, the people v. Levi Weeks started. March 31st, 1800, in New York's City Hall, now Federal Hall. It was packed to the brim with the curious crowd that overflowed into the streets, most of whom were convinced of Levi's guilt. At the time, most trials only lasted a day. They would, you know, present things, it'd be a couple of hours, and they'd have a deliberation and a verdict pretty swiftly. But this one lasted 44 consecutive hours, what? With 75 witnesses taking the stand. What is this? A survivor challenge? 44 hours? How do you ride like you're running out of time? You talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and, and talk and talk. And you don't sleep, apparently. Nope. Can't stop, won't stop. Truly. The prosecution's argument rested on evidence that was mostly circumstantial. They alleged, with the testimony of the rings and others, that Levi had been looking for a little fun... Elma took it too seriously, and even that Elma had been pregnant and Levi found out. 
Because of this, he allegedly decided to find a way to get rid of her so that he didn't have to marry her and effectively move himself down a class level. He lured her away from the boarding house that night in December not to marry, but to murder. His alibi for that night was a little shaky. He had been at his brother's house that night before returning to his rooms at the boarding house, pretty late, but had gone out for an hour in the middle of his visit to his brother. Hmm. What they argued would be plenty of time to go and murder her and come back. I couldn't find where Ezra's house was in relationship to the well, so do with that what you will. The night of Elma's disappearance, some witnesses claimed to have seen her with two men near the area of the well in an open sleigh very like one Ezra Weeks owned. Others said that they heard cries of help and murder as well as splashing that night, but didn't think to do anything about it because it's a city and noise. But, you know, even others claimed that they had seen Levi a few nights before out measuring the well. Like, is she going to fit in here? It's like when I'm saying well, too, guys, I also had to conceptualize this for myself. Like, if you've ever seen a well in general, like usually they're like little small things that have like a little pail that you pull, mm-hmm. pull down into a thing. This thing was pretty big. Like it's about the size of, I would say, let's say circumference is maybe about four, four feet. Mm-hmm. So if that gives you any conception of what that would look like. Right. It's pretty, it's pretty large. Yeah. So. What the prosecution did have as hard evidence was Elma's body. She was, to them, obviously beaten and drowned, something she couldn't have necessarily done on her own. Her neck had snapped. Not an easy thing to do yourself. Mm. So possible strangulation was also in their evidence. The defense, however, used the circumstantial evidence as reasonable doubt and the public's clear thoughts on the case as prejudice against their client already. The witnesses who claimed to have seen and heard Elma with two men near the well and the cries of help and murder apparently lived over a mile and a half away. How could they have seen or heard anything? They claimed they were at their homes. Mm -hmm. And oh my gosh, I heard splashing and Mm -hmm. someone said murder. So. Also, this is just me um, projecting, but Mm -hmm. Ezra and Levi feel like very Jewish names. Maybe they do feel like Jewish names. So I have no clue if they were anti-Semitism involved, like potentially the publics against them. I don't know. I mean, that would make sense. I mean, I don't. I genuinely don't know if they are. I that isn't something that's that came fair. up. So, but that's a that's a fair observation. I just gen- I tend to assume that people are awful. If there's a minority, people are terrible. Yeah, uh, I don't anyway. know. Okay. But good observation. I think that might be a possibility. There was also the question of Elma's body. A coroner had concluded she wasn't pregnant at the time of her death. And while her body was badly battered and she had broken her neck, it could have simply been the fall that killed her. Not anything nefarious. That was what they were claiming. Mm -hmm. It didn't have to be anything nefarious. Whereas the other, the prosecution was saying somebody murdered her. There's no Mm -hmm. way she could have done this on her own. One witness in particular stuck out to everyone. A boarder at the same house as Elma and Levi, a man named Richard Croucher. 
He was the prosecution's star witness, as he claimed both that he personally caught the two having sex and that Levi had been trying to get out of the relationship around the time of Alma's death. This was a boon for everyone on the prosecution's side, including the public, as it cast a dark light over Levi and confirmed their own conclusions. His apparent lack of morality was conviction enough for most. Apparently, too, Richard had been distributing pamphlets before the trial to be like, Levi Weeks is the one who killed her. Levi Weeks is the one who killed her. Okay. So when Alexander Hamilton got up to do his cross-examination of Richard, it was a little chaos. Mm. He was just completely nonstop. He claimed that it was possible that Richard, who had a history of more violent tendencies, was the one who wanted a relationship with Alma and was jealous of Levi. He must have been the one with Alma that night, and the defense even brought in a witness who testified that they saw Richard and Alma near the well. When asked to provide an alibi, Richard could not produce one. In a flourishing conclusion, Alexander Hamilton held two lit candles up to Richard's face and challenged the jury, quote, mark every muscle of his face, every motion of his eye. I conjure you to look through that man's countenance to his conscience, end quote. Okay, dramatic. Theatrical to the extreme. What a, th- what a man to make an entire musical about who was this theatrical in his life. Of course you would. Mm-hmm. Of course you would. The trial itself was shocking not only because of its content, but also because of its length. There were reports of one of the prosecutors falling asleep. Duh. And being woken for his own closing statement. And he just couldn't provide one because he hadn't been paying attention because he'd been asleep. Mm-hmm. He was like, I don't got it. And I think that we lost. So I don't got it. Alexander Hamilton was also asked to give a closing, like, closing remarks, and he was like, nah, I'm good. Because he was like, eh, it doesn't matter. And it didn't. A two-day trial, extreme numbers of witnesses, chaotic questioning, and nonstop testimony brought to an exhausted judge, jury, and legal team amounted to a five-minute deliberation that returned a verdict of not guilty. The People v. Levi Weeks became the first fully transcribed and recorded murder trial in American history, and its defendant walked away with freedom. While Levi had his freedom, he did not have public opinion mm-hmm. in the positive sense. In New York City, his reputation was his currency, his way to the top, and there was no way there now, no matter what the law said. He was shut out of basically everything and decided to flee town to make a life elsewhere. He managed to do pretty well for himself in Nanchez, Mississippi, where he got married, had children, and designed and built several now historic buildings, including the Auburn Mansion. He lived there pretty peacefully until his death in 1819 at the age of 43, only 20 years after the trial. We are all pretty well aware of Hamilton and Burr now, but there was a rumor that Catherine Ring, a good Quaker woman, was so angered by the verdict against Levi that she spoke a curse over the rivals as they left the courtroom together victorious. Maybe it was this curse that led the men to their respective fates, Burr famously killing Hamilton and Burr being ousted from good society and trying to start his own country in the middle of America as emperor. If you don't know what we're talking about, go ahead and... Hang on back. Now you you know, know, Mr. President. If you'd like to go back, Shannon did an episode on Theodosia Burr. 
his daughter. Judge Lansing, who had presided over the trial, was criticized by the public for his decline to rule over the jury. But 30 years after the case was closed, he disappeared on his way to to post a letter and nothing could be found of him again. Huh. Yeah. They were like, it's the curse. And I was like, it's 30 years. At that point, he's like an old dude, probably. So, Mm -hmm. fell into a well. (laughs) Maybe. Too soon. Mm, Sorry. No one was ever charged with the murder of Elma. But remember Richard Croucher? Mm-hmm. He was later implicated in multiple crimes. Mm-hmm. Awful ones. Including the sexual assault of his teenage stepdaughter. Mm. He, it also happened to multiple other women, but it was this one that he was tried for and found guilty. He was later pardoned for mental health reasons. Boo! Yeah, when he Boo. got... When he got out, he moved to England, and we kind of don't know what happened to him. A lot of historians believe he was likely executed for some crime or another based on his track record. Reports are iffy. So there was one report that was like, he strangled a woman. He sexually assaulted another woman. He did all this. And I'm like, overall, you don't seem like a good dude, so. He had it coming. He had it coming. So the well was covered up. The meadow it was in filled with upper middle class row homes, later becoming instead a destination for entertainment, shopping, and sex work. The following is a quote from the Paris Review. On April 18, 1869, the Times ran a paragraph-long item about the discovery in a green street alley of the cover to a long-disused well, notable for being the site of a famous turn-of-the-century murder. The reporter mentions the histories and fates of Hamilton Burr and Levi Weeks, but only the name of Elma, and only the barest details of the story. For, quote, the old well was known to exist, but its precise location had passed from the memory of the oldest inhabitant. End full quote. Every other decade, the well and the case were mentioned, resurfaced in certain spots, usually with Hamilton and Burr in uh, stark relief as the main characters of the story, the case simply a backdrop for their own histories. It wasn't until the late 1990s, early 2000s, that the actual well was found when the building it was now housed in was bought by a restaurant that wanted more storage in the basement. The well is essentially the height of the room, and you can go see it now in the men's section of COS, H&M's sister brand. I do remember that fun fact from somewhere. I'm sure it was a TikTok that I sent you. Probably. (laughs) Because I remember seeing it there. As with every mystery, there is almost always something that lingers, and Elma's case is no different. But she hadn't really shown up until the well was uncovered by the unsuspecting restaurateurs. As soon as the well was discovered, the owners of the bistro said it unsettled them. Once they knew its history, it made it even more unsettling because they just uncovered something and they were like, what the heck is this? Then they found out and they were like, oh no, that's not good. I just want to make $27 burgers. Please. They said it looked almost brand new and immediately felt as if they were being watched. They later would find glasses and wine bottles smashed across the storage room, which no one could explain and no one would cop to. Waiters would routinely get locked in the cellar when no one else was around. And a busboy once claimed he had seen a woman sitting 
next to the well, dripping wet. And he immediately was like, Zhoop, turn around, up the stairs. I don't get paid enough for this. No, thank you. Patrons allegedly heard the haunting sound of a woman mumbling and pleading for her life and screams that were quick and sharp. Others in the area claimed to have seen Elma wandering the streets, only to have her vanish down the alley closest to the well. The clothing store employees of today say there is no shortage of weird things going on in the store. Merchandise has disappeared from storage rooms, the elevators constantly break, there are electrical shortages and outages, which they all attribute to Elma. Though I think that's a lot to put on a dead woman when your shop is in a very old building in the middle of New York City. Fair. But, you know, people will believe what they want to believe. Now, a little bit of pop culture. Murder and trial are frequently referenced in anything related to Burr or Hamilton, including the very famous musical Hamilton. In the song, Nonstop, Hamilton says, as Shannon earlier sang, Gentlemen of the jury, I'm curious, bear with me. Are you aware that we're making history? This is the first murder trial of our brand new nation, the liberty behind liberation. Burr says, Hamilton, sit down. Our client, Levi Weeks, is innocent. Call your first witness. That's all you had to say. End quote. Okay. Okay. One more thing. <laughs> Why do you assume you just in the room? Literally. There's also a novel called City of Liars and Thieves by Eve Carlin that shows the case from Catherine Ring's perspective, hmm. which I think would be a pretty interesting read. There aren't all that many other allusions to it in popular culture, because, again, like the well, it continuously gets covered up. So now we're into theories. Do you have any thoughts before we move into our theory discussion? No. 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 Nar. 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 The only thing I can say in an Australian accent. (laughs) There are only two real theories to follow for this over 200-year-old unsolved case. Either it was an accident or it was a murder. 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 So the accident, the main proponents of the accident angle were Weeks' defense attorneys, Hamilton and Burr, and Livingston, who actually knew how to do this stuff, but we don't talk about him apparently. They claimed at one point that it was possible Elma went out on her own, found herself at the well, and either in a fit of desperation to shed this mortal coil, or by mistake, fell into the well and broke her neck, bruising her body on the way down. I will say, too, that this thing is, like, it's the height of a room, like a regular room. Not that deep. Yeah. But I don't know how... Yeah, and I also don't know how much further down it goes from where you can see it, Mm. but... In any case, it's also possible that Weeks or another person could have been there. There was a fight or altercation of some kind and Elma tripped into the well and, you know, they were just happened to be there or bystanders of whatever happened and just figured we'll run away from it and no one has to worry about it. And then her body was found and they didn't know what to do. There's that. The other theory. Murder. It's a bit more sinister, but makes a little bit more sense. The well would have probably been at about waist height at the surface during its use and it's not that easy to fall into like you would probably have to be pushed into it like if you fell against it even if you fell against it into like against your back uh, it's very difficult to like bend over into it it's not like a low wall no yeah so there's that the coroner also seemed to believe it was murder though sensationalism at the time may have urged opinion in this direction so maybe there was some of that i'm not going to say there isn't 
However, most historians today believe murder to be the most probable cause of Alma's death. It's whoever did it that's the real mystery. With all of the information that was spit out during the 44 hours of nonstop trial, it's hard to parse just how truthful anyone is. But the court of public opinion still seems to lean heavily on Weeks, regardless of his acquittal. Though my money is on Croucher because he seems sus. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems well waters run deep, but not so deep as to hide every secret. Thank you. And that is the first recorded murder trial in the United States. The death of Elma Sands. Mm. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. You're welcome. I mean, you're very welcome. Yeah. I love the literally every single source that I opened about this two lines about Elma mm. the rest of it Hamilton and Burr <laughs> and I'm like guys we That's already rude. know about this we know about them yeah but I mean even the the Paris Review article makes the point to point out like uh, someone died yeah and we're not talking about her yeah so there were some sources that I found that were trying to be a bit more like like I had to scour like a handful of sources before I found out she was 22 mm-hmm and even then I had to go back and see because the transcript for the, the trial is available, mm-hmm. but it is in that like early America English. Mm. So it's a little hard to parse if you don't want to dig through the entire thing right. to figure it out. But it took me a really long time to figure out she was 22, figure out she was from South Carolina, figure out that Catherine Ring was her cousin and not her sister because that was elsewhere too. Like it was everywhere as like different things so it's just it gives you a good idea of just how sensational sensationalized news coverage can completely alter the facts of a situation which guys is not new it is very mm-hmm. much not new this is the first recorded murder trial in the united states history and we barely know anything about the victim and yet she was used as this like a rallying cry of keep your, keep your women safe it's not safe out there for girls anything like that mm. so but yeah elma wherever you are babe you done you 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 did what you you did what you had to do to survive to live your life and i hope that your afterlife is bumping yeah yeah i kind of want to go because you can you can just rock up to the store and just like Go down to the men's section. We'll put it on the road trip. And hang out. Yeah. I bet you there's plenty of other places in New York that are like. Yeah. Spooky haunted. I mean, yeah. murder. That's a thing. Uh-huh. Murder's a thing. And on that note, remember. <laughs> this podcast. Doesn't exist. Do you want some tapioca? No. No? You don't like the tapioca? I do not want your weird salad. <laughs> it's not a salad. It's a pudding. But I can make you a salad. I can make you a jello salad. Yep, it's really go. good. It, green beans and I'm jello. Go now. It's really, it's really, <laughs> she's leaving. <laughs> Let's do it. Silly goofy time. Silly goofy time. That oh, that that phrase sounds better in that accent. <laughs> silly goofy time. Silly goofy time. 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 Time after time. I turned into cat. <laughs>
Dracula. <laughs> uh, you are Dracula. I am Chocula. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Ah, ah, ah. Oh, wait, that's the count. <laughs> Related. I am the Muppet. <laughs> Correct. Da. Da. This episode was researched, co-produced, and edited by Emma Kylie. Co-produced and marketed by Shannon McCarthy. Our theme music was composed and performed by Tom Emsley-Smith. The mailbag theme music was composed by Liam Kiley.